What's up, Bucks fans? Welcome to another edition of Pirate Parlay here on the Sick Podcast Network. Bucks with a heartbreaking loss against the San Francisco 49ers who dropped in the four and six on the season. But you know what? They did have a chance in that game, as little as it may have been, uh, to, to come back and, and come alive. And the Bucks have not been out of any game all season at halftime. They've got to turn it around and push forward and figure out what's happening after halftime that we are just imploding on ourselves and keep dropping L's. But we'll get into all that and more with this very special guest. And you'll find out who it is on the other side. Later. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Sick Podcast. Pirate Parlay. Battle intercepted. Picked off of the end zone. Bucks are going to beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world. The sickest Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. It's going to be sick. We are here on another edition of the Pirate Parlay Pot podcast. I'm very excited to welcome in our next guest to go over this Bucks team, the outlook for the remainder of this season. Talk about this last game. He is a former Pewter reporter. Shout out alumni. And currently the lead draft analyst for PFF and the co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange. He is Mr. Trevor Sikama. JC, it's so good to be with you, my friend. It feels like uh, we've been basically playing a DM game of like phone tag for the last like month and a half. And it just feels like every time you're about to record a podcast, like I'm not available. So I'm excited that here before Thanksgiving, we were able to make it work, man, because I've been uh, waiting to kind of come on the podcast and unload some Bucks thoughts with you. So I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Always welcome here at Tampa Bay. Trey, I love the tree in the background. It's really aesthetically pleasing to my eyes. You know, you've got those eyes that lose lose you anyway. So, you know, the tree there kind of makes it easy to easier to talk to you and not get lost. So. Dude, we're actually uh, we're traveling for the holidays. I'll be down in Florida visiting the family. And uh, we wanted to make sure that when we got back after Thanksgiving, it was already full Christmas season. So we had to put them up before Thanksgiving. I know some people think that that's sacrilegious, but uh, you know what? Say less, man. It's my house. I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm going to put up the Christmas tree, you know? Interior decorations have been done like three days after after Halloween in this house. <laughs> there you Dude, go. I, there I, you I, go. I'm not doing exterior until after Thanksgiving. I'm not going to be an exterior decorator, but like interior, yeah. I mean, something about the lights, the ambiance it brings. We're getting out of here, because, out, of, out of the way here. But it's been a busy day for you. Uh, position rankings came out. Uh, top four, uh, top seventy-five. Big board came out for the draft. Mm-hmm. Just crushing it over at PFF. Uh, your work is just phenomenal. If you guys aren't checking it out, I don't know what you're doing with your life uh, because this man puts in the hours. He puts in the work. He puts in the effort. He had, I think, what six different rankings come out. A big board on top of recaps of games as well, like nonstop. Yeah, man, we're. Uh... We are full steam ahead. I mean, we since I got the lead draft analyst role, which I'm, I'm pumped to be in, um, we've been all systems go really since August. And we've been trying to give people the opportunity to, whenever they wanted to dip their toe in the water, whether it's Bucks fans or whatever team you're a fan of, whenever you want to dip your toe in the water of that upcoming NFL draft class, we got you ready. So we're all the way up to 250 players ranked on the PFF big board right now. It's obviously broken up into positions. You can sort by positions, like you mentioned with the rankings, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been awesome to do during the season. And uh, again, anytime anybody wants to kind of come over into draft season, we got you. I know the Bucks fans are waiting on bated breath for you to put out their five round mock. Meanwhile, uh, I'm a Pats fan at heart. So 
please let it play out the way you you put it out there because <laughs> Harrison Daniels and Nehemiah Pritchard's one of my favorite guys. I had I I've loved him for the last two years. But we're getting off the rails here. Let's dive into this Bucks loss against the San Francisco 49ers. What were your immediate thoughts after watching that game? Um, when you what did you come away with? What were you? I mean, this Bucks team has not been out of a game at halftime. It seems like second half, third quarter, just they implode. But what was your uh, what were your immediate thoughts and reactions to that game? Honestly, this game went exactly the way I thought it was going to. Uh, San Francisco is clearly the better football team. They right. are in a much further place in their winning window than Tampa is. They have a more established roster. They have a more talented roster, and they won the football game. And it's just like, yeah, I think that Tampa was in there at the end. Obviously, they were making a big drive towards the end of the game. Even if they score that touchdown there at the end of the game, I mean, you're kind of asking for a miracle to kind of come back and actually get into, an, into a position where you have a chance to win. But that's kind of been the story of this Tampa Bay team for a long time. I've been saying that this is a this is a like kind of a measurement stick team where if you lose to the Bucks, okay, you're probably not going to be a playoff team. But if you can beat the Bucks, okay, well that probably means you are a playoff team. So it's not like I think right. Tampa is terrible. Now there's a lot of really frustrating things that it feels like have happened with this team where week in and week out, something's not going right. And you can point to little things and say, man, if they did this a little bit different in this game, you know, if they don't play terrible defense against CJ Stroud, like all this kind of like, maybe you're even closer to 500 for this team. So they're never really out of it. And that kind of feels like a microcosm of what we felt this team was going to be going into the year. The roster was too good for them to just be terrible, but you also looked at a lot of, question marks on the team and said okay well that's probably what's going to hold them back from being great and I truly feel as though this past weekend against the 49ers it was a perfect encapsulation of what this Bucks team is they're okay in a lot of areas they're not going to beat the 49ers they're also not going to get blown out so it's just that's how it played out I think in every single facet you know I think it's one of those things where you you brought up that the talent on this team is just too good and there are certain areas where you looked and you're like well that might hold them back one of those areas that you didn't feel like was going to hold them back was a secondary, right? You pay Carlton Davis two years ago. You paid Jamel Dean this year. You have Antoine Winfield Jr., who is an all-pro in the making. And then Ryan Neal, who was your, you know, over at PFF, your highest-graded safety last year, comes in and just is not – and I get Bowles is using him out of position a lot. He's, he's cl- better closer to the box, not as good as a free safety. But when you have a guy like Antoine Winfield with the damage he can do in the box, you have to – there's got to be some give and take between those two. But – this is what's wrong with the secondary. What What is going on with it? I mean, the bend don't break is just, especially against a team like the Niners who just yak and yak yards after contact yards after, after catch. They're just phenomenal at it. And what's going on with them? Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy because you mentioned on paper going into the season, this unit was actually a pretty good one, right? I think that Carlton oh. Davis at his best is, one of the top 10 corners in the NFL when he's playing uh, the, the way that we know that he could play. I think Jamel Dean, okay, maybe he's not a shutdown corner. Maybe he's a little bit more up and down, but he's certainly been able to give you those up games along with the down games. And both of those players not having good seasons at all whatsoever, both when they've been put into six. I think that there have been times when there's been a lot more off coverage than I think people thought yes. that they would see from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team this year. And like, all right, Dean and and Davis, both of them, they're much more press man type of corners. They're much more aggressive, which is normally what Todd Bowles wants you to do. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because of the lack of pressure up front. There's like the lack of production from the edge rushers, but he's keeping these guys off and they're really struggling because of that. Christian Izzy, and I mean, I think that 
beginning of the season, yeah, fantastic. He's playing well, but he's still a rookie. You know, he's still right. going to – Undrafted at that. Ex- exactly, right. And so it's hard to think that he was going to be able to sustain that throughout the whole season. I think the secondary play is very much a roller coaster anyways. You know, I know that Bucks fans know who A.J. Terrell is, A.J. Terrell, the cornerback for yeah. the Atlanta Falcons. You know, early on, I, I can't remember if it was rookie or, or the year after – he was like an elite corner, one of those oh, early oh. years. It might have been that first year. He was just an elite shutdown corner. And then the very next year, he was terrible. I mean, Darn. like he was getting he was getting burned every single week. It didn't matter what coverage it was, what receiver was going up against him. And now, like, he's back to okay, he's playing really well. And so the cornerback position, just in general, very up and down. So you kind of Gilmore exactly hundred percent. And you kind of just have to live with it. But man, it it's I mean, both those corners are playing poorly. Ryan Neal, I get, okay, he's more of a downhill safety. I thought he was going to play more of that role, especially when Bowles in the offseason was saying, hey, we're not going to use Antoine Winfield Jr. in the slot nearly as much. We're going to use him as that single high free safety because he's so good at it. So that's why I thought that Neal was going to be a perfect addition because I thought that he was awesome when he was in Seattle. So he comes over and I'm like, man, this is the most underrated critical signing of the offseason. And it turns out, you know, he's playing a lot of too deep safety stuff and the angles are poor. The anticipation's poor. I mean, it's just to the point where you're wondering, is there anybody else on the roster who can take his snaps at this point? So there's no doubt about it. Like you can sometimes deal with one of your, I'll say five secondary starters because nickel is the new base, right? You can sometimes deal with maybe one of those guys playing poorly throughout a season. They've got three of them playing well below expectation an undrafted rookie at the other spot and then an all pro guy. But you know, there's only so much that Antoine Winfield Jr. can do. And so I'm very shocked at how poorly this secondary is playing. Yeah. And it's tough too, because you see what they did last week against the Titans and again, Titans are different team, but playing that more press man coverage. I mean, Jamel Dean per PFF has graded out as one of the best cornerbacks in the league for the last three years when he plays press man coverage. And you look at what they've been doing 10 yards off. I mean, there was a play um, I think it was like third and seven where the corners were barely in the in the screen. You know, they're playing 10 yards off the ball on a third and seven against a team that is tremendously good with the ball in their hands, either breaking tackles or making guys miss. So it, it's it's mind boggling that Bowles is continuing to play. And I mean, all that press man coverage does is makes the makes the pressure look better because when you're locking those guys up a little bit more, it gives a it gives the the pressure a little bit more time to get home. And the fact that he's been playing them off so much, I mean, they had under another undrafted guy, Kayvon Merriweather taking the snaps over at strong safety this past game. And he played all right, but something's got to change uh, in that secondary or, or with the coaching or the play calling, because they're not putting their guys in a position to succeed. Somebody who doesn't matter what Bowles is calling in a position to succeed. And hopefully he's not too banged up. We're hearing it's a groin injury for Levante David, but mm-hmm. Man, I mean, this is a guy who they did not want to sign to a big money deal. Goes out, tests the market, nobody's looking for. I thought Miami would have been a perfect fit. He's from Miami. He lives in Miami in the offseason. They had a need. They decide to pass on him. Go with a a couple other guys, especially after losing Landon Roberts. And he comes back, and he's just having a Levante David season. Like, (laughs) just, and, uh, you know, his counterpart, Devin White, has been such a roller coaster after teasing us for the first two games, having some solid games. He's back to, just an inefficient, mistackling, out of place in coverage. I, I just I don't know where do the Bucks go from here with both of these guys. 
Yeah, I mean, Devin White is is the conversation that I think Bucks fans have been having a lot over the last, I would say, year, year and a half, is what do you do with this player, right? You draft him as highly as they did, and I think he's obviously a great athlete. I think he is a great Todd Bowles, uh, I, I'll say X factor, because I don't think he's necessarily like a chess piece, right? Like mm-hmm. Levante David's a chess piece, right? I mean, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. is a chess piece. I wouldn't right. call... Devin White, a chess piece type of a player. I think that he's an X factor type of a player where when you have a Levante David who gets to play next to him, well, that leaves Devin to play a lot more free. Now I do agree. I thought that he was playing better in coverage at the beginning of the year, but um, I think he's kind of regressed a little bit more towards kind of what he has been over the last year or so when it comes to coverage. And so look, if they have they have two very, very important players whose contracts are coming up in Antoine Winfield Jr. and Tristan Wirfs. You have to make sure you have the money for those players. They play right. more valuable positions, and they're just better and more consistent overall. I don't know what they're going to do with Devin White and his money because I don't know what the outlook is going to be ultimately for Levante David and how much longer he's going to be on their books. The same can be said with Mike Evans, where right. I've – I've always thought that Mike Evans was going to come back to Tampa Bay. I don't think that he is going anywhere, but does that, that money goes into what you do with Devin White? Cause I don't think that, I don't know if you can bring back everybody that is an upcoming pending free agent with Mike Evans and, and um, Devin White. And then obviously the other two that I talked about that you have to prioritize. And that's not also to mention, what do you do with Baker Mayfield? Right. Cause right. you look at a lot of the issues on offense and I, I figure we probably get to this point, but like, it's not his fault. You know, no. he's he, he's not playing like a world beater, but he's certainly looking like a starting caliber NFL quarterback where if things were better around him, if the offensive line was a little bit better, if they could run the ball a little bit better, we're talking about a different offense. And so yeah. I think that he at least has them in, in position to win plenty of games, even against some really good teams. So uh, we saw uh, shades of that this past weekend. We certainly saw it when they played the Buffalo Bills, right? And so right. I think that uh, that's another conversation there. So ultimately... I would like Devin White to come back, but the contract that he has, that it has just been rumored about that he is going to seek, which good for him. He should. All right. And that goes back to the combine. Like, you know, saying, you know, before he was drafted, I'm going to be a hundred million dollar player in five years. And he, of course, like he should, like he should want to be a hundred million dollar, right? Like he should absolutely be saying that at all times. Cause if somebody's going to give him a hundred million dollars, okay, like go get it. I don't think it should. I don't think it should be the Buccaneers. So no. if it's going to be anywhere close to the contract that he wants, I think Tampa sh- would be best letting him walk, especially if Bowles is no longer going to be the head coach. You're probably going to have to. Ca- you're probably going to have somebody else come in, mm. and Bowles has loved how he gets to use Devin White as, like I said, this X factor type of player, a right. quarterback spy, a heavy blitzer, like things like that. Would the next defensive mind, whether it's a defensive-minded head coach or whether it's a new defense coordinator, if they end up making a lot of coaching changes, do they have the same X-factor philosophy with Devin White? Because right. if you don't, that's a lot of money to pay an off-ball linebacker that's not giving you the production that you would want. So, Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if he's asked, if he drops down to like 11, maybe 13, I think you consider it if Bulls is here. But if not, you got to move on. I'm sticking on yeah. the defense, and then we'll hop over to the offensive side. Uh, JTS, Logan Hall. Is the time to call him busts? Is are we are we at that level yet, or or do we need to see a little bit more, especially at a hall going into a second year? Yeah, um, I I just JTS. don't I, I don't I don't know if 
I don't know if bust is the word, right? Because one of them was, what was he, very first pick of the second round or something, whatever 30, Logan yeah, Hall was. 32 yeah. and 33. I mean, they're right. right so, so they're right there. So I don't necessarily want to call them bust, but unfortunately they haven't exactly lived up to the potential. Um, you would have wanted Logan Hall to be a more well-rounded, kind of versatile defensive lineman. And I just don't think he's consistent enough. Like he just hasn't turned into that player. I wasn't his biggest fan coming into the draft, but I felt like for Todd Bowles and this and how multiple Tampa likes to get up front, mm. I feel like he could have been a really nice piece. I just don't think he's impactful enough. He's just not making enough impactful plays in the game. So bust, I don't know. I, it's hard to call a guy a bust when he's kind of like around that pick. You know, I, I reserve the bust word for, you know, top 15, top 12 picks that you're really invested in. Right. Big things on, but there's no doubt about it. I think both of these guys have been disappointing. I was super excited for Joe Tryon Shoyinka. I thought the Bucks got a steal when right. they were able to draft yep. him. Shoot, that first preseason, it felt like the dude was on fire, and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the league effed up, right? They 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 let Tampa Bay get this guy, and so unfortunately, again, he just if when I have watched him, and I'm not going to pretend to have watched every single snap, but when I have watched JTS, it feels as though if he is not jumping the snap which can be an art, right? That can yeah. be a skill. So I don't want to totally Absolutely. take it away from him. Von Miller does it better than anyone. A hundred percent. But, but Vaughn well, has more complete packaged. I'm not and, comparing Vaughn. And right, no, no, I know. I know. You're I, not, but this is, no, this I know, is you know, but I don't want people in the comments <laughs> to be like, <laughs> this is a continuation of kind of Bucks like, fan we're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. So like Vaughn Miller, not only is he an artist at jumping the snap, He's also incredibly flexible when it comes to bending around the edge. He's got great hand uses and he's got really good explosiveness. JTS, when he times the snap count, he's just okay at that other stuff. Right. And so it's not really like a boom. If he times the snap correctly, the offensive tackle doesn't have a prayer. I mean, that outside shoulder is cooked. And it's mm. just not even the even the snaps that he can that he can time well i've seen him not be able to corner the outside shoulder as much as you would think that he was able to do so I, again yeah there's no doubt about it i think that he has been disappointing and unless he really ends the year and with his hair on fire um i don't think he's going to like get cut from the team or anything but probably not I, 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 i've i've gone i've gone through these exercises in in mock drafts like I think about edge rusher a lot with Tampa's first pick, right? If you're not in contention for a Drake may, a Caleb Williams, somebody like that at the quarterback position, mm. I immediately look towards edge and I'm like, you got to get way better in this area. Cause I like Kalaji can I like Vita Vey. I think that's, that's a great duo inside, but it's very clear that number one outside of Shaq Barrett and even Shaq. I mean, he's, he's, he's not the same Shaq that we saw that uh -oh. had this, the, uh, the, the sack title many years ago. You got to get better edge rusher and the guys that they have on the roster right now, outside of maybe Marquise Watts, who's like kind of kind of good when they put him out there. Uh, outside of him, there's just not a lot of like impact plays from the edge position. Well, that's who I wanted to go to next, kind of Yaya Diaby. Um, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about some of these rookies, but Yaya Diaby, the thing about him is he's got the same like physique, same like kind of look as Joe Trinchenka. But his ability to bend the corner, his athleticism, I think, is better. And I think we're every we're, – and I'm not, like, dubbing him, you know, the next. But Bucks fans are ready, and uh, our guys at PR are ready to dub him. They had a whole podcast on giving Yaya more snaps after his two-sack weekend. But um, shout-out to those guys. But I, I think they have a, a building block there with Yaya Diaby, and I've been really impressed with his, his come on as a rookie. He only played, you know, 20 snaps, 21 snaps this past weekend. Definitely deserves more, I think. Marquise Watts only had three. Definitely thinks he 
he has deserved more. But when you look at these guys, what the rookies can do, and I and I'll talk about yeah, talk about Yaya, but also on the defensive side of the ball with Kalaja Kansi. I mean, wow. I mean, just yeah, as advertised, better than advertised, especially against the run and double teams. But just talk yeah. about some of these these rookies for them. Uh, Yaya, Kalaja, Izian, Mock, Palmer. Is Palmer legit number two, number three. What are your thoughts on him? And, and break Dude, down it, that rookie class for me. Yeah, I mean, I think they hit a they, they got an absolute gem in in Trey Palmer. I mean, their trio right now of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Trey Palmer. I mean, that's that's good enough for any starting caliber quarterback to win with. I, I mean, that group is really really nice, and I love what they have in Palmer. I think that he is going to be a true weapon for them moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned it. Like I call Ijakansi as a top twenty player last year. I still believed in him despite him being a size outlier, just because of how crazy this dude's get off was. I mean, it, the, the way that he gets up into the chest of these centers and guards, I mean, it's nuts, man. You've got, you've got even some of the best athletes at, at, at the interior positions in the game of football. They're like, Whoa, okay. Like you're here already. And they're almost just like totally caught off guard. And I mean, he's been great. I think that he understands like when he's getting double teamed, you know, like he understands the technique, you know, he'll put the knee down with a corkscrew technique and just try to do whatever he can to like stop any kind of double team or any kind of push stuff like that. And again, playing next to Vita Vea is, is great. And I said before the draft, I, 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 w- I wasn't so totally sold on Kalijah Kansi being a first round caliber pick for every team in the NFL. Tampa mm. was one of those I would have been sold on because you get to play next to a absolute planet in Vita Vea next to him. And Vita Vea is so imposing that you cannot dare single block this guy or he will forklift somebody straight back into the quarterback's lap. And even right. though, okay, maybe it's not like as quick as an Aaron Donald, Jeffrey Simmons, whatever, it's disruption. It is completely collapsing the pocket from the inside. So you always have to devote extra eyes and extra bodies oh, towards Vita Vea. That gives Kalaja Kansi more favorable opportunities, whether it's one-on-one blocks or whether it's giving him a, 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 a crease to shoot a gap, something like that. So, I just love this pairing. He's been phenomenal. There's no question about it. Um, Vita Vea's athleticism is so underrated, too. I mean, oh, I mean the, he's got a quick get off himself. And, and I mean, you watch plays get out that break the outside. He's running 20 yards down the field, full sprint, keeping up with uh, with running backs. But so yeah, go, go ahead with the rest of this draft class. Your thoughts on them with Mock and uh, Yaya? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that Mock is, is coming along. Obviously, it was going to be a work in progress for him. This guy who played. Well, I, yeah, I think a lot of people start the conversation with yeah, with uh, with Cody Mock and say like, oh, this is a guy who played tackle in college who's kicking into the inside. Okay, yeah, it's that, but you got to realize he got to North Dakota State as a tight end, right? Yes. I mean, so so it's not like his journey started as an, as a left tackle and we're kicking him inside just because he has short arms. His journey started as a tight end, and you right. see that at North Dakota State because he moves really well as a left tackle, and. You st- I mean, at the Senior Bowl, they kicked him inside to center. They kicked him inside at guard. I actually wonder if center is ultimately like his best position just because he's got That's really good natural. Yeah, it's like you got a lot of good natural leverage there. Um, I think he's got good weight on his body right now. But if, if you're if you're trying to be a st- real difference-making starting caliber guard, I feel like you got to be even bigger than he is right now. Yeah. But at center, you can get away with it because you can be very quick. You can be a puller. You can obviously like get up into um, nose tackles very, very quickly. So, mm. like, I think the center is probably the ultimate position for him. But I think he's learning. He's fine. And then Diaby, he's somebody who's obviously very, very interesting because you look at his – I just pulled it up. His his combine scores. This is a guy who at six foot three, a little over six foot three, 263 pounds, okay? 
he's running a one, five, six, 10 yard split, which is 93rd percentile for edge rushers. And then he also had a four, five, one 40 yard dash, which is 96th percentile for edge rushers. So <laughs> that's size. We're, we're talking about an explosive player and going back a little bit to what we were just discussing with corners. And you know, you talked about how when you play press coverage, sometimes it can buy extra time for your rushers to get home a little bit more. But the opposite can also be true. Oh, yeah. if, you, if you play press coverage and you don't get home, well, then all of a sudden, if you got to be asked to play press man coverage for three, four seconds, you're going to be cooked more often yeah. than not. Um, one of those guys is going to get open. It's just the game of football. Wide receivers are too good. And I think the problem with the Bucks pass rush and edge rushers right now is unless Cansey's getting home shooting a gap up the middle nobody's getting home quick enough to be able to maybe play as much press coverage as you want whereas Diaby gives you that kind of explosiveness where he has the ability and the athleticism to at least get in the backfield a little bit right. quicker now does he know how to beat the block maybe not does he have a, a ton of pass rush moves okay maybe not at this point but he is somebody who towards the second half of this season, the rest of this season, I'd like to see him get more opportunities because he, at the very least, will get in the backfield quicker than what a lot of the guys who are getting the regular rotation have been able to do. And that was the whole plan with him, pairing him with Vita Vea, that disruption up the middle funnels that quarterback to the left or the right where you're hoping Shaq, who's coming back from an Achilles tear and is on the wrong side of 30, and JTS, the hope, was would be there with open arms, you right. know, like journey bring, bringing them down, and uh, but that hasn't happened uh, for, for the Bucks, and it, it's been it, it's been difficult for the rest of the team to have success because of the lack of pass rusher uh, pass rush ability that they've been able to get there. Jumping to the offensive side, I feel like on a milk there there's two guys in a milk carton every week, um, especially to start the game. It's you know, and it's your two highest paid wide receivers and offensive players. Where the heck is Mike and Chris in the beginning of games um, every week? What is your take on the usage of those two? I get teams are going smart teams are going to do everything they can to bracket these guys, take them away and, and you know, and, and make you beat you in different scenarios. But there's got to be a way. And I think Canals has done a good job so far. There's been growing pains for sure, mm -hmm. but I've been more impressed certainly after the shit show of last year with, with Todd Bowles. I mean, Byron Leftwich, that was just, yeah, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, yeah. usage of Mike and Chris, well, what? Where's it been? Yeah, I'm still waiting for Byron to give you an answer on your EPA uh, for play <laughs> question. Um, no, but yeah, like, so. I think, um, you know, it's funny. A PFF guy comes on the podcast and wants to talk about the run game, but I think that unfortunately for the Bucks, they are not good enough at running the football to be any sort of threat outside of, I would say, those two receivers, right? Kate yeah. Otten, fine. Otten's not striking fear in a defense. He's not getting the defense to shift or to move over or to motion or cause co big communication. Oh, we got to know where Otten is. And uh, that's all due respect. I, I really don't, I didn't mean to to really, the, the guy fine. to catch a big straight. You're but, right. All you right. know, like he's not like, it's, it's not like when Gronk was in there, right? When Gronk's in there. Yeah, right. A... I mean, like you got it, you got to know where he's at. But like even before, like even when, uh, when, when Jameis was clicking with Cam Braid as much as he was, like Cam was so much a part of the passing game that, you know, cam motions from the left side of the scrimmage to the right. Like you got to pay attention to them just because mm. of how much success they have had in that regard. There's nobody else. I don't think on this defense that actually, th or, sorry, this offense that threatens the defense other than Mike and Chris. And I think that there's a lot of teams 
that dare the Buccaneers to run the football because they know they're not good at it. And they know they don't have to allocate a ton more resources to stopping that. And, and yeah. so if the Bucs had a more effective running game, I think things are a little different because then I think not that you have to run the ball well to um, to be able to do play action. You certainly don't. There's been plenty of data points to say that play action is effective, whether you have a good run game or not. But I think that there is something to the threat level where it's like, okay, how much are you selling out for the play action? Like how right. much, are, like, are you getting other players that probably shouldn't be peeking into the backfield uh, that, that chance to be able to do that. And so with as ineffective as they have been, I just don't think people fear it. So instead, you know, you come out, whether it's first and 10, whether it's second and long, third and long, whatever it is on those first couple of drives, they know where the ball is going. Right. You know, like that. And, and, and the thing is that even if they don't know where the ball's going, let's say a team gets caught off guard on second and eight, you run the ball. Tampa doesn't have a good enough run game to get a first down. So it's not like you're even catching them. Like Tampa's right. Tampa's yards per carry average is, well, last, last I checked, it was like four weeks ago, but last I checked, it was like 2.8 yards. So I think it's a little higher than that now. I think it's like a little That's above three, but you know, you, you run if, if if you run the ball on second and eight just because you don't think they don't think it's coming, well, you get four yards, maybe max. All of a sudden, right. it's three and four. That doesn't really change things too much for you. So they know that they're not going to do that. And Trey Palmer, for as good as he's been, he's still a rookie. All right. Rock. So I you think that it's a, there's a lot of things that are involved. And I agree with you. I I, I, w- I would like more production from those top two wide receivers because it's certainly not the way that it used to be. Back when Arians was certainly calling the plays when he was early on in head coach. I know it was Jameis, so it was a different offense. But, like, man, both these dudes were just lighting up the scoreboards in, in that vertical offense. And they have those same two players. So you wonder, like, man, it's, 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 it's tough to see them being held back as much, knowing what it was just, you know, four years ago or whatever. And so – I, I I truly think that they want to be balanced, but they're not effective when they're balanced. So it's just, it, it's making for an easier team to defend. And that's just what it seems like from my vantage point, watching these games from afar. Yeah, totally. I mean, that initiative comes down from the top too uh, about the balance and it, it's, it's limiting. You can tell it's limiting what Dave wants to do as well as a play caller uh, that he's got to have that balance. I will say this, this in the first half, what he was doing with the quick passes, the screens, the bubbles, the um, ability. Rashad actually got a few runs that went for more than three yards per carry. Uh, so when they did run that play action, you could see that there was true hesitation from mm-hmm. two of the best linebackers in the game right now um, and some of the safeties as well. But you're right. I mean, if I'm a team and I've got a good enough nickel cornerback and, I, and I've got good enough coverage linebackers, I say, okay, I'm bracketing Chris and Mike. Right. Fine, take a shot on the Trey Palmer or DT with my nickel cornerback and my fourth cornerback, a third safety, and I feel like I have a linebacker that can take care of it. You know, and and, and against the better teams in the league, that's what it's going to be. You know, like if right. if you got if you're going up against top half of the league defenses, they're just not they're not afraid enough of of what Tampa's offense is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at you look at Rashad White, and for everything he is, he's number two in the league in passing yards. I think. He's number one in the league in broken tackles, uh, number thir- three in the league in receptions. I just don't know if he's a number one running back in this league. Yeah, and Otten, I, I know Otten's not a number one, number one tight end. That's for damn sure. He's proven that. I think wear some damn gloves when you're catching the ball out there, man. Um, but 
but with White, what is what are your thoughts on Rashad White? Is he just a good number two running back? Is there any potential that we're not seeing because of the offensive line, perhaps because of maybe the play calling? Because of what? What's your thoughts on Rashad White? Yeah, I think the interior offline is is not up to par. It, it's not the the way that it needs to be, and I think. Uh, Gedeke's coming along at right tackle. He clearly looks a lot more comfortable there. Worfs is an all-star. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I think that Mock is getting better, right? But Hainsey, I don't think, was ever really drafted to be a full-time starter, right? I mean, you think about when he was drafted. He was drafted when you had guys like Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen and Alex Kappa in the building, or at least coming off of that season. Mm-hmm. And you basically drafted Hainsey because he was a long-time experienced starter at Notre Dame. And you said to yourself, okay, well, if one of those guys goes down for a short period of time, we don't want somebody who's very green at offensive line play to come in. Instead, we'll get this guy who's played a lot of snaps, understands football very, very well, played at Notre Dame, and he'll be able to fill in. And now you're sitting here and it's like, okay, well, now he's a full-time starter because Ryan Jensen um, didn't come back. And I don't think that that was ever the plan. I clearly it was very much not in the plan to lose Ali Marpet the way that they did. And I think people just forget about how much Ryan Jensen's injury and Ali Metz, Ali Marpet's retirement put this team back because you've, you always have Jason light, Mike Greenberg and John Spitek and all these guys in the front office. You've got one year, two year, three year plans four year five. You you probably got up to five year plans of like what your team could look like when you could lose these players, where the money's going to go, all that good stuff. And Losing those two players the way that they did, I think, really set them back in a big way that people just don't think about. So I think the interior offensive line is definitely an issue for Rashad White. Ultimately, the way that I look at him is I think that he could be an excellent third down back in this league. Like, I think that he could be a great RB2 spell, spell running back. Like, if they had a early down back stud, like an RB1 kind of a player, and then Rashad White, who would come in and be like this great receiver who could also probably – do a little time in the slot for you, you know, right. coming on third and sevens, get a good pass, make mm-hmm. a guy miss, get a first down. Like if he's getting better at pass protection, obviously that helps as well. But like that would be a really nice one, two punch out of the backfield. So he's absolutely an NFL ball player. I just don't know if he's, and this isn't his fault. They basically are asking him to be a full time, heavy volume running back. And I just don't think that was ever supposed to be in the cards for him. All right, and they just don't have the the pieces behind them. Right, they, yeah, they, don't have, proved, they don't have anybody else. Chase Edmonds has proven ineffective. Keyshawn Vaughn probably should have been off the roster a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, you look at it. Get a get a key. Just what a jump. What a redemption story. You know, like I, really? you know, talking to Chase, he's like, you know how good it feels to have both of your tackles. Like, you know how good it feels as a GM to not have to worry about your bookend tackles right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so great, great for him. Let's get into Baker a little bit. We tra- we touched on it for a minute uh, earlier. Baker, answer, stopgap, or gotta go. So I was actually having this conversation with somebody earlier today, and I think the answer is is gotta go. But that's not Baker's fault. Like I think it's I, I think it's where this team is in their winning window because when you look at this roster, you look at okay. The secondary has really been struggling. So do we not have the answers with some of the guys that we just signed? Devin White could be out of the building. Who knows how much longer Levante David's going to play. You need to invest in edge rushers to get new edge rushers in there. All right, that's just on defense, right? Mm -hmm. You need 
probably two different interior offensive line spots, whether you want to keep mock at guard or move in the center, you probably need two more interior offensive line spots. Right. Uh, you know, maybe one of the guys is kind of sitting in reserve, you know, Stinney or Leverett, maybe they can gain one of those spots, but obviously they haven't yet. So you essentially need two more spots along the offensive line. You probably need to find an RB1. Wide receivers you got figured out, but Mike Evans, he's a pending free agent, right? How much longer is Mike going to play? All that stuff. So to me, there are too many question marks on this roster for me to say, yeah, just give Baker a three-year deal. Because, you know, Smith type. You know, and, and I don't, and like, Baker is kind of deserving of that. Like, he's playing well enough to have earned that. But where this team is right now in their winning window, especially if they are going to go through a big coaching change and a coaching staff change coming up, yeah, of course, there's a world where they could hit, they could strike gold with the head coach, their new head coach that they're going to bring in, and they sign Baker to a two or a three year deal, and it's absolutely a match made in heaven, and it works out for them. They elevate the rest of the roster, they make the necessary um, changes that they need to. But to me, I think the Bucks are, are at least two more seasons, so this one and at least next season away from getting the roster where it needs to be to compete. And I know right. that sucks to hear because the NFC South is super vulnerable right now, mm. but that is where I think, like, even if the Bucks were to have won the division this year, they're getting bounced in the first round, 100%. They're not beating one of these better teams in the NFC. They're not in that same tier. And I don't know if another offseason next year gets them there either, even if they bring back Baker and keep Baker. Right. So ultimately, I think that Baker feels like a gotta go, gotta go situation, but of course that depends on, okay, who's available. Like if, if Tampa, so has many a, variables, right? if Tampa has a top two pick and you get either Caleb Williams, or Drake may. Yeah, of course. Like it's easy. Like I think you're moving on. It's easy. It's no question about it. But the rest of the quarterback class, are you picking one of these guys in the first round is Tampa? I don't know, but right. I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to look at where this roster is right now and where I think the timeline of them are of where it is to get to a legitimate winning window, not a fool's gold winning window, because that's bullshit. And that's right. bad. That's that puts you in purgatory. That puts you picking. 15th in the draft every year. And you certainly don't want that. Right. I think this team needs to hit the reset button a little bit harder this off season and um, probably move on from Baker, probably move on from Todd Bowles and um, take the next couple of years, really get this next head coach's guys in the building, figure it out, get some new talent in there at the premium positions. And then you kind of make a run for it. But uh, that, that is my opinion there. Now, like I'm, I'm kind of in that same camp. I, I think there's like two ways that Bulls and Baker aren't both are aren't aren't both here, and that's that they just lose out, and they just they're just maybe win two more games. You know, they finish with a six and six and eleven record, and then you're just like your hands are tied. But yeah. if they do go on a run here, finish let's say nine and eight. Win this NFC South, I think it's going to be hard pressed for them to get rid of Bulls. Oh, they're both staying. They're both staying at that. You know, yeah. And the only other the only other way that I could potentially see them losing but Baker staying but Bulls leaving is if they look at the landscape and maybe hire a guy like Shane Waldron. Um Shane Waldron comes in. He keeps on Canales, right? Because he was with Canales, who was his mm-hmm. quarterback coach, and Canales is like, "Hey, if we make these improvements, we do these different things, if you let me call the way I want to call and not, you know, be such balanced attack and everything like that, then we've got something in here. I know we do." Yeah, and that's that's maybe they give him a three year deal with an opt out at two, and 
kind of meet that timeline and draft a quarterback maybe a year or two and yeah. kind of sit behind Baker for a year. That's the only thing. I mean, I like Dave Canales. I like what I've seen from him. I like his energy. I like his. I like some of the play calling, the sequencing I've seen. Also, there's been stuff that I haven't seen uh, about Canales, and then we'll then we'll wrap it up here real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen from Canales so far uh, that you've liked, that you've disliked, that you know he knows what EPA is, so that's good. You know, he knows <laughs> the scheme guys open for the most part. Doesn't call things fantasy football questions when you ask him. So yeah, no, he. Uh, I I think that he's doing a really good job. I I, I do. Um, yeah, I think that people got to remember, like, you can't live in this microwave world of like, oh yeah, new coach got to get better. Like, it's got to get better this second. Like, man, there were issues on this team last year with Tom Brady as their quarterback, and I know Byron Leftwich is a big issue for a lot of that. But you know, new guy coming in, he's calling plays for the first time, like you got to give him time to figure it out. So anybody right. who's like, man, Canales has got to go. I, he's, he has not been nearly bad enough for that to be the case. Now, if they end up moving on from him, cause it's a clean sweep of the coaching staff. Like, okay, that's a different story, but right. I like what I've seen from him. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I love his approach to the game. It feels like he is very malleable with, with how he is um, approaching this offense and what's working and what's not. And, you know, a lot of people look at like, okay, like how often they continue to run the ball and things like that. I don't know how much of that is necessarily in, in his hands, right? I mean, the head coach has their fingerprints on the identity of this team, whether it's an offensive or a defensive coordinator. So, you know, Bowles being a defensive coordinator, I'm sure that he's preaching a lot like, hey, we got to control the clock. We got to control the time possession. I don't want my defense to be gassed, like all this kinds of stuff. So there's a big, big a preaching of balance. And yep. I'm not saying that Canales is like totally – against that i i I don't know where he stands but ultimately i think what i'm saying is i am taking away a lot more good than i am bad with him this season just because of the context of him taking over for leftwich him coming into a situation where it was an already established coach who was like kind of on the hot seat you're coming into an offense it's a brand new quarterback i mean baker's not he hasn't been with these receivers he hasn't been with this coordinator so Man, I, uh, I I think there's more good than bad. I, I really do. And I actually like the job that Canales has been doing this season. Yeah, I think, you know, there's been growing pains, but I think not as bad as the situation. And definitely uh, definitely some some influence on what he's trying to do on a week-in, a week-out basis. On to Indianapolis. They've got um, uh, Anthony Richardson list, Indianapolis. And then you look at the schedule down the line, um, you know, games against another game against Atlanta, um, game two games against the Panthers. They've yeah. got um they've got the jags in there they got the saints in there and then they have another game against this uh packers I think, packers as right? well lambo going to that game i can't wait first time nice man so, nice um, you love it i'm so excited but you know looking down that what's your optimism for the rest of the season um you know i think we kind of talked about what camp you're in with the Bulls goes clean sweep, kind of, you know, maybe not aim for a high draft pick, but it certainly helps. We know John, John is all about the draft pick. Get rid of Bulls, <laughs> get, get, get the high draft pick. He's like, Bucks fans hate me for it, but, you know. No, so. look, I mean, I, I think that John and I kind of see it similarly where you look at their situation right now and it just feels like, it feels like they have a low ceiling. And that's never a good feeling. Like you never, you never want to invest in a current regime or a current situation or a current roster that has a low ceiling. And it feels like Tampa has kind of a low ceiling right now. And maybe that changes next season, but it's, you also don't want to just go like, 
yeah, it'll be better next year. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I think it's you don't want to be you don't want to be ignorant about kind of the faith that you have in in the current regime. So um, I know John's a lot more hardcore for it, uh, but I, I, I am <laughs> I am closer that. to I am closer to his camp of thinking, and that's why I say the thing about Baker, where it's like, man, it all depends on what quarterbacks are available, obviously, but. I think I'd be leaning towards having him move on just because I think of that timeline. Look, when I look at this schedule, the crazy thing is not a single game is like an automatic loss, right? I I mean, every single game that they have remaining is winnable. Every single one of them. So who knows where this team is at uh, when we get to the end of the season? Two games against the Panthers, I mean, and and they're putrid right now. I mean, those could be two wins. Uh, The Falcons, they were close to them right there. The Saints, they've already beat them once. The Packers are very, very up and down every single week. Jags are kind of the same way. I think that's probably their toughest opponent, right? Yeah, because of, of just the roster that they have, but they put up some stinkers as well. And then the Colts, I think the Colts are, they're a tough team. I like Shane Steichen a lot, their head coach, but it's, it's not like they're world beaters, you know, right. certainly without Richardson. So it's, it's one of those things where I think people look at the bucks right now and certainly coming off the 49ers game. It feels like it's hopeless. It feels like they're going to lose most of the games that they have throughout the rest of the season. Maybe they do, but on paper, you can win every single one of these games. I know they won't win every single one of these games, but no. there's not an automatic loss that they have on the rest of their schedule. No, there's that school of thought that says, well, Bowles has still had the shorthand. You know, he came in, couldn't make any changes to the staff. Free agency was over. You know, Bruce just kind of ju- dumped it on his lap his first year. His second right. year, 40% of the cap is on guys who are no longer on this team. Couldn't make any splashes. You got 13 rookies on the active roster. You know, a bunch of undrafted guys making starting and making plays for you so far this season. It's like, give him a chance, right? You know, give him a chance to build the team the way he wants to build it. Then there's the other school of thought that says in-game management is still poor. Um, what he's preaching is poor. His defense has, has been some of the sole reasons why they've lost games so far, and he's supposed to be the defensive guy. Then they go back in their mind to the all-out blitz against the Rams that prevented them from potentially getting that, you know, back-to-back. Um, and then you have the other, so, you know, I have a poll running right now. I think there's somewhere around, um, you know, 850 votes and it's, it's right there. What do you want to do? Do you want to lose, get a high pick, clean sweep? Do you want to give, you know, do you want to win the South? Maybe even lose the first round, um, and, and give bowls some cap space. And it's, you know, 49% want to keep bowls, get the playoffs. 51% want to, want to lose, you know, and, and it's that give and take, uh, you know, we've gone through so many losing seasons, how could you 18 years of, you know, without a playoff berth, how could you not want this team? And the other ones, this team isn't going to do anything. And it's going to be in this level of mediocrity. If we, if, if you know, if we don't make a change now, yeah. um, why push it off for another year? And so it, it's tough. It's tough to fall right there. You know, I'm kind of, you know, bad on the same thing. You know, I mean, I'm not in the camp that the patch should fire Belichick by, by any means, but it's like, what do you do? Do you, do you kind of just put Zappy in and, Right out the season, I mean, you're already bad. Or yeah, you should. They should. They yeah, should. If we can salvage it, you know. Yeah, I, they I should. But all right, well, um, we'll get to one real quick because I know um, you just had your midseason mock come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the Bucks taking edge, uh, Leitu Latu. Yeah, close. Yeah, that was good. I don't know. You know, these, no, it's these an, intimi- it's an, names, intim- man, it's an intimidating off. name. It's a very intimidating name when you look at it on paper. Leatu, Leatu, Latu. There you go, baby. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've watched him in a few games. I'm not a huge college guy. So I start to pay attention around now because I feel like, you know, the good teams are always going to have the good players, you know, the better players. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll start, you know, peeking around PFF. Running. I've done a few mocks. I've done a few mocks. There you go. There you already. go. 
But the guy's a monster. He's an absolute monster. And, and I think has edge one written all over him in the NFL. But no quarterback. Did mention Penix there, Tampa kid. Um, if they did want to go quarterback early. But what are your thoughts so far? Because you are the draft guy on what the Bucks should potentially do in this draft. Let's say they do have a top 10 pick or right around that's 11, 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. They miss the playoffs. And then if they do make the playoffs, obviously be the 19, you know, yeah. probably one and done in and out. Uh, yeah. What do you think they should look for? Yeah, I think that edge is the, the position that stands out the most to me. Again, if you're picking in the top two and you got a chance to take Caleb Williams or Drake May, you're going to sprint the card in. You're not going to think twice about it. But, you know, yeah. if they're picking somewhere within the top 15, it's right around the 10. You know, you got Layatu Latu from UCLA, who's just an absolute sack master. I mean, he's he, he is he is so incredible. I mean, he, he had a, a neck injury. He was actually at Washington or he started his career at Washington. He had a neck injury that uh, forced him to medically retire from the game of football. He ended up taking a full year and a half off of football, wanted to come back because his doctors, his personal doctors, I think, had cleared him to play. Washington's doctors would not clear him to play again. So he ends up transferring to UCLA. They clear him to play. And uh, I got a good friend who works in the UCLA program, and he's told me, he's like, we don't have a restriction on him. Like, he's fine. He's good to go. We don't have him in any sort of, like, pitch count or workout count or anything. Like, he's healthy. He's fully healthy. Um, And and we've cleared him to play in the last two years. He's been incredible. But, yeah, Jared Verson, edge rusher from Florida State. Dallas Turner, the edge rusher from Alabama. Chop Robinson, the edge rusher from Penn State. I mean, all three of these guys, I think, would be welcomed additions. And that's where my mind goes first. It really is. You know, if you have the opportunity, maybe if Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia, if he ends up dropping to you wherever you pick, I mean, that's immediate tight end one. Not that they necessarily need pass catchers right now, but, I mean, that's a major offensive difference maker for you at the tight end position. So that's That's somebody that you would think about there as well. But I don't know. I don't know how much I would. What would you say? What do you think quarterback for him? I mean, you don't think so, Bo or so Penix I, or Shador or, or so Jalen Daniels? I like Bo a lot. I think that Bo could be a top 12 pick. I really do. I think that he should be in the conversation there. Penix, I like. I think he's more of like a back Aging end injury. of the first round type of a quarterback that you take a chance on because for as Aging much as injury. I – would you say? Age and injury. I mean, age and injury go into it, but – He's been healthy the last two years, so it doesn't right. really matter to me. And you, if you're good at quarterback, you play quarterback until you're 38. So I don't really care about that if I right. think that you're good enough of a player. <laughs> That's true. What, what bugs me about Penix is there's a little bit of accuracy issues, especially when he's trying to take heat off the fastball. Like when he is throwing a rope to you, I mean, this dude can just rifle it straight at, your, at you as a wide receiver. But Sometimes when it comes, sometimes not, you could point to plenty of great touch passes from him. And I would agree, but sometimes the ball placements a little bit spotty from him at the NFL level that can get you in big trouble. Jaden Daniels is somebody who is climbing the boards, man. I did not think this dude was going to be anything close to a first round pick. And he is having an unbelievable season, not just as a rusher and a dual threat player, like he was going into the year, but also as a big time passer. I mean, he's way more comfortable in the pocket than he was in the past. He will hang in between the tackles and go through that extra progression and that extra read. He's been fantastic passing the ball to two really great receivers this year. So like he's in that conversation, but honestly, the only, what I was gonna say, where does McCarthy and, and, and Shador land if he does so, come out? I like Shador more than I like McCarthy. McCarthy worries me, man. I, I just think that a lot of what he's had to deal with over the last two years has been very easy. And when obviously, like 
how he plays this weekend against Ohio State is going to be huge. If they win that game, it's the Big Ten championship game. That'll be big, although I think they're playing like Iowa, so I don't think it's that big of an opponent. Um, right. And then, of course, like if you win that game, you're in the college football playoffs. So, like those are huge for him too. He has a chance to obviously um, improve his stock, but I just he's still a tick late on throws. Like he like Penix, and and I actually think McCarthy's worse than Penix at this. When he has to put touch on the passes, when he's not throwing 100 miles an hour, yeah, it starts to get shaky, and he starts to put the ball in harm's way. He's not as quick getting to his progressions as you want. He's not as quick feeling from the pocket as you want. So I think he is a very talented thrower, but I still think he is a ways away from being a good quarterback. Shador, I like a lot, handles pressure really well. Um, I think that he's got great anticipation and accuracy. He's got a good arm. I wouldn't say that it's great. Like, I don't think that he is putting this ball on a frozen rope at the NFL level. So the thing, the thing that really keeps me from vaulting Shador into like a first round, like first round type of a quarterback is I think the arm is adequate, but I don't know if it's like difference making at the NFL level. That's, that's kind of where I, where I come to with Shador. Let's say Mike and Mike leaves. What are your thoughts? I know, I know you love, uh, I uh, I know you love Rome. So Oh yeah, he's uh, Rome and, and Nebors. What are your thoughts on or neighbors? Neighbors, Nebors? Neighbors, yeah, yeah. Neighbors. Okay. I don't got the pronunciations down yet. I'll get no, the it's, from, it's uh, fine. Hey, that's why I'm, that's that's why I'm here. Oh no, it, so if Mike walks, then all of a sudden you yes, need a another wide receiver. And so I would not be opposed to they're not gonna be picking high enough to get Marvin Harrison Jr. But like if anybody's still on the board between Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze, I'm not as high on Keon. Coleman as I was kind of to start the season I think he's a little bit hot and cold and he struggles with separation which kind of worries me um but those two dudes neighbors and Odunze I am very big fans of but this receiver class is loaded so you could get I mean like they could draft a receiver in the second round that ends up being their wide receiver one at some point right I mean like it's just it's it's just they're that talented so you consider wide receiver but I would still tell you even if Mike walks Hit edge rusher in the top 15. Go get a wide receiver at the top of the second round. Right. Speaking of wide receiver, Justin Watson, former Buck, bringing in the touchdown for the Chiefs there. Oh, um, I don't have it on. We got we to gotta get it on. All right. Yeah, yeah. So final thing, I challenge you three sides minimum. I raise you three three uh, three meets minimum. Okay. Got to do three meets, I feel like. Um, but no, Thanksgiving around the corner. What's your favorite side? What's your favorite dish? What are you looking forward to? I'm with you on the pumpkin and sweet potato pie camp. Get rid of them. I'll even get rid of pecan pie too. Pecan, pecan. Oh, don't do that. No, 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 no. You went apple. too far. You give went too apple. far. Oh, give me apple. Give me chocolate cream pie over pecan okay. pie. Okay. All right. Look, if you like apple pie, I, 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 I won't get on you too hard. I'm there. Good, good pecan pie though. So, come on, man. Um, but you said, are you from New England? You said, I am. You, okay. So, all right. All right. You're from up north. You probably haven't have had a good, time, you probably right. didn't have a good enough pecan pie. So, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But, um, look, I am a, I'm a turkey over ham guy. I understand some people go to turkey and your family doesn't know how to cook turkey and it's dry as hell. And you just, you like, yeah, and you hate it. But, like, I feel bad for you. You know, like, I'm, I'm a turkey guy. Throw the gravy on there, throw the mashed potatoes on there, throw the stuffing on there. Like, that is, that is like the perfect plate for me. So, um, I'm a turkey is the main meat guy. Well, of course, this is saying like, you know, if your family serves prime rib or steak or something, obviously that's right, the go-to. Yeah, go but between have- between turkey and ham, I'm team turkey all the way. Uh, and then my favorite side, no question about it. My uh, my grandmother is Italian, 
Okay. And she, and she makes a stuffing that has uh, Italian sausage in it. So a little bit of okay. Italian flair in there. And uh, it is, uh, it is wonderful. So that is my favorite. That is my favorite Thanksgiving. You got the lasagna. You got the lasagna. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We got the lasagna, baby. You got that mixture, right? The Italian, the Italian Thanksgivings and Christmas is always like, it's like half Italian dinner. Yeah. Sunday baby. Night dinner versus, you know, you got to have the Turkey and some of the, the cranberry sauce. What is the canned or, or you guys go with the berries? Uh, I'm not a big cranberry sauce guy, but I think we go with like the bear, like we go with the non can one. Like, it's not uh, like, you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're opening the can. You're just like letting the thing just like <laughs> just slap onto the plate. I don't think we don't really do that at our house. So yeah, my kids don't eat Turkey. They're not big into Turkey. So um, we have to substitute last year. We did a chicken, All right, um, which okay. was different, okay. but you know, you get a big chicken this year. Um, you know, I'm like, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm not a big turkey guy, and maybe Bro, I haven't had a great. You're watching. You're watching football, anyways. Just get hot wings. Just, just no, order no, I'm doing wings. barbecue this year. I'm gonna. Oh, get a, nice. I'm getting some brisket. I'm nice, getting some, some pork butt and some ribs, and we're starting that stuff late the night before, early oh, in the morning, it. and that's what we're it. doing with some mac and cheese. We're doing some mashed potatoes, some of the some normal sides. Get a little, you know, a little, t- little tiny one, a little tiny, um chickens and stuff maybe maybe smoke that too but yeah we're going barbecue this year forget it you know you don't have to do the traditional turkey eat good food we look we only get thankful right we only get so many meals on this planet make sure they're good make (laughs) sure they're absolutely well trevor uh thank you so much we went over i always go over with my with my guests because i feel the conversation just flows but um and, and your wealth of information. But let's get to watching this game. Tell the people where they can find you. I told them where they can find you at the top of the hour. But go ahead, promote yourself. Plug whatever you got going on. Obviously, your rankings are up. But what else you got coming down the pipeline? Man, uh, expanding the rankings, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've already got 250 players ranked for this upcoming class. I mean, we're expanding that to 275, 280 in a couple of weeks to make sure that we've got seven full rounds unlocked on the PFF Mock Draft Simulator. So, again, anytime that you want to dip your toe in the water for 2024 NFL Draft, season come on over to pff.com and then of course after you listen to this wonderful podcast and this wonderful show come out and hang out with us at the nfl stock exchange podcast we got a youtube channel you can listen on spotify and wherever you get your audio as well but jc it was awesome uh getting to converse with you here get to talk a little bucks and uh don't worry about going over man i i know i'm the one who talks way too much so it's all good brother it was a great conversation i appreciate you having me you know i record with john so you know i am used i used to you know i think that's where i got it from me yeah you, yeah john, the, and, yeah, mean, J- yeah john and i used to do a podcast together and it used to be uh they were like all right yeah keep this to about like a 20 minute daily podcast and we're like yeah all right 90 minutes same, absolutely not <laughs> like 30 minutes just do it 30 minutes a week you know 30 minute podcast i'm like all right no problem i'll do two of those a week each every so like an hour 45 minutes or an hour when you know you got a good show man and right, you got right. a good show absolutely i appreciate you coming on Tampa bay trey everyone happy thanksgiving spread the love um excited to hear about when you guys finally elope on that marriage uh there and christmas time in the city for tampa bay trey over there appreciate you buddy of course anytime and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast pirate parlay on youtube facebook Google Play and Apple Podcasts.